Amen. Turn in your Bibles today to Matthew 13 and chapter 25. Matthew 13 and chapter 25. Amen. Aaron, appreciate that good job you did this morning. He told me this in confidence, and he's never going to tell me anything in confidence again. His daddy called him in the other day and sat him down and said, Son, it's time for you to find a wife. Amen. So he is looking. He's got his hair cut since then, right? Amen. Amen. So he's on the prowl. Amen. You're welcome. <laughs> he said, Thank you, Pastor. Amen. All right. Matthew 13, 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. I want to speak to you today on the subject, while you were sleeping. Let's pray. Father, in the precious and holy name of Jesus, we're asking you, O Lord, to touch us. We're praying that the Holy Ghost of God would be involved, Lord, in, uh, Lord, the preaching of your word, that you'd work not only on the speaker, but on the hearers. Lord, turn this uh, sermon, dear God, into a message from God. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can you thank the Lord for his word? Just give him a hand of praise. Amen. I've decided to preach on sleeping today because, as the old adage says, if you can't beat them, join them, <laughs> right? I was in the hospital some time ago with someone about to have surgery and the anesthesiologist came into the room and I said to him, I said, you know, you and I do the same thing for a living. He said, are you an anesthesiologist? I said, no, I'm a preacher, but we both put people to sleep for a living. One of my favorite stories along those lines is the pastor that was preaching one Sunday and he'd already gone about an hour and 15 minutes. And in that church, the deacons sat behind the pastor in the front row of the choir loft, and one of those old deacons had had all that he could take. And he said, he doesn't realize he's going so long, so I'm just going to pick up the songbook, and I'm just going to gently throw it at him and just kind of hit him on the back and let him know that he's going too long. And about the time that he did that, he overshot, and the pastor did a gesture like this. It went over the head of the pastor, and it hit an old man that was asleep on the front row. The old man woke up and said, hit me again, I can still hear him. <laughs> and then, of course, there was that time that I dreamed. Billy, have you ever had a dream that you were preaching? Isn't that a wonderful dream? I dreamed that I was preaching, and I woke up, and I w was. <laughs> sleep is a gift from God, and I want to speak to you about uh, the times that sleep is not only appropriate, but a blessing, and the times that it's not. First of all, there's the sleep of delight. I thank God for sleep. There's nothing in life, I guess, that is any more of a blessing than to have a nice, warm, comfortable bed to sleep in. And that is a gift from God. In fact, Ecclesiastes 5 and 12 says, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Crystal and I were talking yesterday about how much rest is better after you've done something to get tired. It may be that some of us that are tossing and turning at night we might not be expending enough energy during the day because the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats a little or, or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Those that have a lot, those that have a lot of possessions, it doesn't take long when you get a lot of possessions that your possessions start to possess you. 
and they start to occupy your mind. And so the rich will lay awake all night and worry about his possessions. But Psalm 127 and 2 said, that's a vain, empty, silly thing to do. It's vain to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for the Lord gives his beloved sleep. So sleep is a gift from God. In fact, I love this story in the Bible. It's one of my favorites. Psalm 3 is written along the time that Absalom had rebelled against his father and David was on run on the run from his own son who surely would have taken his life. He had already taken his kingdom from him. And David had to go back to the same old places that decades earlier he had hid out from King Saul. When he hid out from King Saul, he was hiding out from his idol, his, his, his mentor, his boyhood hero, and now he's in those same caves hiding out from his own son. And ten, uh, tens of thousands in an army had surrounded him and were looking for him to take his life. But here's the record of David's attitude. It said, Lord, how they have increased who troubled me. Uh, many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I laid down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid for the tens of thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. David said, I got so alarmed at those that had surrounded me to take my life that I was so upset about it, I just laid down and slept real good all night long because I knew the Lord had the watch and the Lord sustained me. I love the story of the missionary who had cast evil spirits out of a witch doctor. And as he lay on his bed at night, he began to feel his bed move uh, away from the wall and he looked up and he saw an ugly demon glaring at him the demon he'd cast out of that witch doctor and he looked at him and he said oh it's just you and rolled over and started to go back to sleep and then he said wait a second put this bed back where you got it before you leave here you don't have to worry because Psalm 48 says I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone oh God make me to dwell in safely in safety Jesus, when there was a storm at the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was not fretting over the winds and the waves and the lightning and the thunder crashing. Jesus was asleep in the middle of the boat because he knew was in, who was in control. Max Lucado says that when he was a child, he loved to swing in the swing. And as long as mom or daddy was pushing the swing, as long as somebody he trusted was pushing the swing, he could go as high as he wanted to go. But if a stranger walked up and tried to push the swing, he would have a hissy fit because he didn't trust the stranger. I want you to know Jesus knew the one pushing the swing was his Father in heaven, and he could trust him. And so in the middle of the storm, he could sleep because he trusted the Lord. Now, why can you have that confidence? You can have that confidence because God works the night shift. There's no reason for you to stay up. God's already up. Let him worry about it. Let him look over it. Let him care for it. In fact, Psalm 121, 4 through 8 says this, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time even forevermore. The Lord 
never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's always looking out for you. So there is the delight of sleep, the sleep of delight. But sometimes there's also the sleep of despondency. And I could have used a different word there. I could have used uh, despair. I could have used depression. But have you ever been in that moment in life where your body, your mind, your emotions just started shutting down on you because of the pressure that you were under or because of the troubles that you had? And you, you, lost, you became lethargic. You lost any desire, any zip, any get up and go. All you wanted to do was lay around and sleep all the time because when you were asleep, you weren't hurting. When you were asleep, you were not worrying. And so you just wanted to pull the covers over your head and go back to sleep. Proverbs 22 and 13 talks about a lazy man, but I think that maybe this also reveals something about his mindset. He said, there's a lion outside, and I shall be slain in the streets. And this attitude of despondency will create a laziness in you that you don't want to do anything. It'll create a sluggishness. In other words, people's anxiety over their troubles, real or imagined, will cause them to be unproductive and say, all I want to do is lay around and sleep because they're scared to face life's challenges. Now, all of my life, and I don't under, exactly understand why, maybe it's just part of my personality, all of my life I've been plagued from time to time with feelings of anxiety. Uh, very often I will get a, a, a just kind of an ominous sense of foreboding that comes over me every once in a while. Even as a child, I, I used to lay awake at night and I would say, I hurt, my stomach would, would bother me, uh, you know, that feeling in the pit of my stomach, and I couldn't explain why I didn't know why. And so you have those feelings of anxiety, and sometimes there's mundane, ho-hum, everyday, just days. There's nothing major going on, no major problems, but I still feel just to get out of the house, just to go about my day, there's this sense of uncertainty, anxiety that I have from time to time. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to make us unproductive. Now Proverbs 26, 13 says the same thing. A lazy man says there's a line in the road, a fierce line in the streets. But verse 16 of Proverbs 26 says this, The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. In other words, people try to tell him what your feeling's not real. You're blowing it out of proportion. You know, worry, they say, is whenever, worry is like a man that's carrying around on top of his head a basket full of feathers that he thinks is a basket full of rocks. And so sensible people will tell you, you're overreacting. Come on, get going, let's get going. But this kind of person finds a problem for every solution. Right? There are people that just won't hear it. They think they're smarter and they just want to spend their life hiding out from life, hiding, cowering under the covers. But can I tell you, Christian, a child of God, you don't have to be scared to face what's in life because the Lord's with you. And because of that, Proverbs 3, 24 through 26 gives us the assurance when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of the sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and you will keep your foot from being caught. I don't have to worry about life and what's going to take place. I don't have to hide out in the bed of despondency. I can get up and face life head on 
because God is with me. And then there's the sleep of delinquency, of delinquency. And I had to look this one up to make sure that I had the right definition because usually when you think of a delinquent, you think of a juvenile delinquent. But I know a lot of adult delinquents, right? Delinquency is not just for the young. In fact, one of the definitions of delinquency is this, failure in or neglect of duty or obligation. That there is the sleep that keeps you from doing the things that you're supposed to do, the things that God has called you to do, even in life the things that you've been hired to do, to take care of yourself, to take care of your bills, to take care of your family. In fact, the Bible says that the person that doesn't uh, work shouldn't eat. So it's okay if you just want to check out a life and not be productive, that's okay. If you want to starve to death, that's fine if you want to do that. But if you want to eat, the Bible says we ought to work. And so there, there is that sleep of delinquency. In fact, Proverbs 6, 9 through 11 says this, How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep? A little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. There are too many people that are hitting the snooze button of life. In fact, there are people that they get in uh, terrible shape and the first thing that they want to do is they want to say, everybody's against me. But it's not everybody else that's caused a problem. It's their delinquency to do their duty. And then they'll say, well, the devil's against me. Y'all pray for me. The devil's against me. They're wanting to cut off my lights. <laughs> and then there are, now I know there are people that get real needs, real emergencies. But then if, if it's not everybody else's fault and it's not the devil's fault, then they start blaming God. God, you didn't take care of me like you said you were going to do. Well, listen, God gave you two hands to work with, two feet to stand on. He gave you oxygen in your lungs to go about and do your work. He gave you strength. He gave you talents and abilities. And he expects you and I to do with those what he has called us to do with them. And so God is not, doesn't have a, a real good, uh, you know, uh, view of laziness. In fact, Proverbs 26 and 14 says like the door turns on its hinges, that's the way the lazy man does on his bed. The lazy man is so lazy he buries his hand in the bowl and it's all he can do to get it and bring it back up to his mouth. In fact, if he had his way, somebody would just stand there and feed him grapes all day long. He is the original couch potato. Now that is bad enough in life. In fact, listen, the Bible counts that as spiritual sin, not just bad in life. It's a spiritual issue because the Lord says, the Scripture says that if a man will not provide for his household, he's worse than an infidel. But it's bad enough when we're talking about physical laziness. But I have come to believe that there is among us Christians a terrible amount of spiritual sluggishness. Amos 6.1 said, Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. 
We just think everything's going to be all right. It doesn't matter what we do. We can just rest, take our ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I had a man that I was pastoring when I was up above Statesboro, Georgia, and I made a joke to him one day after church. I was just talking, you know how I carry on. I was just talking one day, and I said, yeah, you know, Galen, I said, there have been mass healings during my preaching. He said, really? I said, yes. People have been healed of insomnia like that. People that haven't slept in years just like that. Mass healings of insomnia. And just kidding around with him, you know, about, about uh, sleeping in church. And I had never even noticed him sleeping in church. I was just ha having fun. He said, well, preacher, I can't help it. <laughs> but it turns out this is one of those things where you open mouth, insert foot. I have That's my spiritual gift, by the way. But he said, preacher, I have narcolepsy. In fact, he was a state patrolman, and he had to go on disability and lost his job with the state patrol a short time after that because he could not stay awake. He'd be riding in the car and just fall asleep because he had narcolepsy. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that Satan has unleashed upon the church of Jesus Christ a bad case of spiritual narcolepsy. That when we ought to be active, when we ought to be doing God's will, we are delinquent in what God has called us to do because we're at ease in Zion. Can I tell you, I was watching the other day, I was doing some research. I was watching Andy Griffith. And Obedus came stumbling in. And he laid down in his cot. And he said, Barney, I can't sleep. So Barney went in there and sang him a lullaby, and Otis went on to sleep. Now I can tell you that Satan sings a great lullaby. He will ease us to sleep in the spiritual sense. The problem with that is our text in Matthew 13 says that while men slept, the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. Satan will ease us to sleep because he's got some nefarious going ons that he wants to accomplish. He wants to sow seeds of doubt into our minds. He wants to sow seeds of lust into our heart. He wants to sow seeds of discontent into our family. He wants to sow seeds and tares among the wheat. And he is very active. God works the night shift, but so does the devil. In fact, that's when the thief comes. He comes in the night. The Bible says those that are drunk, they do it in the night. I want the young people to listen to me. There's nothing that's going to go on after midnight that you need to be involved in. Get you behind home and get in bed like you're supposed to. Amen. And while I'm at it, let me caution parents. I don't care how wonderful prom is, it shouldn't take all night long. Don't you get that baby a hotel room and leave them out all night long, 15, 16, 17 years old. You say, listen, midnight, get on home now. Prom's over, it's time for you to be back at the house. Bad things happen at night, and the devil wants to sow the seeds of tares at night. And so listen, 
while you and I were sleeping, we lost our country. While we were sleeping, we lost a generation of young people. While we were sleeping, we lost the moral compass that made America great. All of that happened while men slept. The devil has sown in our homes, in our nation, and in our churches, tares among the wheat. And we simply rolled back over, hit the snooze button, and went back to sleep. Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, after he had instituted the Lord's Supper, he took the disciples out to the garden and he took Peter and James and John and they went a little further with him and at a certain place he stopped and he said, I'm going over there to pray and I want you to stay here and I want you to watch and I want you to pray. And when Jesus came back, they were asleep. And Jesus said, you need to watch and pray because if you don't watch and you don't pray, you're going to enter into temptation. And he went back to pray and he found them asleep. On the night that Jesus needed them the most, nobody would stay up and watch and pray with him all night long. The Chicago journalist Finley Peter Dunn coined this phrase that for years was used as uh, what the press ought to be. And then in the last several years it's been applied to the church and the preaching says it's the job of, in this case, the church to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I know that we think what we need from God is for God to comfort us because we feel afflicted. But what we really need is God to afflict the comfortable. We need the spiritual equivalent of a cold bucket of water thrown in our face. We need the God to wake us up from our slumber. In fact, Romans 13, starting at verse 11 says, And doing this knowing that the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day's at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in reverie, drunkenness, not in lewdness or in lust, not in strife or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. We need to wake up. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. I'm sorry she scared you, Jim. I know. <laughs> I saw some of you jump there. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. Back, back during the uh, days uh, of the early colonies, back in the, in, the, in the 1600s as America was just beginning to form, uh, the Puritans, you know, the pilgrims were separatists uh, separatist and pilgrims. And, and the Puritan fathers, when they had church, it's been a long time. Look now, Paul preached long so long one one time that somebody fell asleep, fell out of window, and died. 
And, and, and I thought about trying that, but then Paul prayed and he came back to life. So I figure if I can't do the second part of that, I can't afford to do the first part of it either. But when they'd fall asleep in, in those Puritan churches, they actually had an usher that had a long stick that had a feather on the end of it that he would walk by and just gently tickle the ear or the nose of the offending party. And they'd wake up. And it worked pretty good until one day there was a man having a dream that he was being attacked by a beaver. And so whenever he tickled his ear, he ran out of church screaming trying to get that beaver off of him. Well, listen, I, we either need God to tickle us or prod us, but we need God to wake us. I wonder what kind of wake-up call is it going to take for us? Is it going to take someone we love having cancer? Well, we've had that. Is it going to take terrorists flying planes into a building? Well, we've had that. Is it going to take on the highest levels of our government, our government putting a stamp of approval on things that are unlawful and wicked? Well, we've had that. Is it going to be when they take prayer out of schools? Well, they did that. Is it going to be when they yank the Bible out of schools? Well, they did that. What kind of wake-up call is it going to take for us to shake ourselves from our slumber and wake up and rise up and be the people of God? Because there is coming a morning that we cannot afford to sleep through. Matthew 24, starting in verse 42 Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom is his master, whom, whom his master made ruler over his house to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, he'll make him rule over his goods. But the evil servant that says in his heart, My master lays his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. And the master of the servant will come on that day when he is not looking for him at an hour that he's not aware of, and he'll cut, cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is coming a morning that we can't afford to sleep through. And the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. Will he find us watching when he comes? Or will he find us slumbering in the bed? Well, there's not only the sleep of delinquency, but the Bible talks about the sleep of death. The sleep of death. As terrible and as final as that sounds, it's actually shouting ground. Because to God, it's only sleep. The Jewish mothers would teach their little children when they were small, before they went to sleep, to quote Psalm 31. It was their equivalent of, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, 
I pray the Lord my soul to trust. And so every night as Jesus growing up in that Jewish household, Mary would stay by his side and teach him to quote Psalm, what we know as Psalm 31, 5. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And when Jesus was judged and the crown of thorns was shoved upon his head and he was broken and beaten within an inch of his life and his flesh hung in shreds and he was nailed to a rugged cross and while they're nailing him there, he cries out as the thundering sound of the hammer is in his ears. He cries out, Father, forgive them for they know what, what they do. He says to the thief on beside him, today you'll be with me in paradise. He says to John, take care of my mama. He says, looks up in heaven and says, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? He finally gets around to talking about his physical condition. And he says, I'm thirsty. And then with the roar of a lion, he cries out, it is finished. But those were not his dying words. For his dying words, he reaches back into the chambers of his mind and remembers laying on the cot and his precious mother Mary teaching him a little prayer from the Psalms. And he adds one word and he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And with the bleeding of a lamb, he whispers that prayer and bows his head and falls to sleep in the arms of his loving father. Saying, I can trust you to get me up in the morning. Mother used to come in to wake me up when I was at home and she would sing a little song. Lazy bones. Sleeping in the sun, how do you expect to get a day's work done? Oh, it got on my nerves. No pillow has ever been created that can be pressed upon the human ear to the extent that it would keep out the dulcet tones of mama singing, lazy bones. I try most mornings to wake Cambo and Katie up gently. In fact, we get the dogs, the dogs get excited. I say, come on, y'all help me wake them up. Yesterday morning, both, both Bogey and Paisley got on each side of Katie and kissed her good morning. I try to wake Cameron and Katie up gently. And I try to wake Crystal up cautiously. But Jesus had the voice that could wake up the dead. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, brought him home and it was too late. His little girl had died and they had already called the mourners in. And they're weeping and wailing. And Jesus said, what's the big deal? She's not dead. She's only asleep. And they mocked him to scorn and Jesus cleared the room. And he says, he speaks to her in Aramaic 
and the words that he uses is a word that means young lady or damsel. But it comes from a word that means lamb. So Jesus whispers to that little girl and says, Talitha kumai, my little lamb, arise. Jesus' best friend is dead and has been buried four days and already rotting in the grave. And he's buried down in a cavern and a cave in the earth. So Jesus doesn't whisper to him. Jesus cries out, the Bible says, with a loud voice and says, Lazarus! And not only down into the caverns of the earth, but down into the caverns of hell itself, his voice echoes and falls on the ear of Lazarus. I like what the old preacher said. He had to call his name or every dead man in the cemetery would have got up. He's the voice that wakes the dead. But there is coming a day Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trump will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must be put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought the past the same which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord in case you didn't get it Paul tells us about it one more time in 1 Thessalonians 4 but I would not have you ignorant brethren concerning those that are asleep that you sorrow not as others who have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also those which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that they which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with what? A shout and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm a suspicious type fellow. I don't do it much anymore, but I used to because it was stylish, I thought. I used to wear suspenders, but I always had to wear a belt with my suspenders. I'm suspicious that way. And so I've got to wear, since Crystal bought us a little Amazon Echo, you know, because they don't know enough about us already. So we got that little Amazon Echo, we, Echo, we call her Alexa like she's a member of the family. So I will say, Alexa, Crystal laughs at me because I'll say, set a wake-up call. 
But Alexa's more understanding than Crystal. She knows I mean alarm. I said, Alexa, set a wake-up call for 6.30. And then I'll go on my phone and I will set an alarm on my phone because I don't want to miss it. But I thank my God that on that great getting up morning, I've already got an alarm set with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not going to send somebody, but he himself's going to come, not another. And going to wake us up. And all those that sleep in Christ, that great trumpet, that blast, that wake-up call, going to wake the dead. January 30th, 1965, Winston Churchill's state funeral. It was the largest state funeral up to that point in history. There were 112 nations that were represented. Only China was the only one that didn't send an emissary. 350 million people around the world watched it on TV. 25 million British watched it. By decree of the Queen, his body lay in state in Westminster Hall for three days. Statesmen all over the world, the Queen, unusually, the Queen herself attended his funeral. But Churchill had left word that at the close of his service, up in the balcony, a single bugler, a soldier, would stand and play taps. We've all heard it at funerals. There's been various lyrics given to it. One of them, probably the most popular, is Day is done, gone the sun from the lake, from the hills, from the sky. All is well, safely rest. God is nigh. You say, well, that's not that unusual to play taps at a funeral. He was a Navy man, by the way. But that wasn't the last thing he said. He said, after that bugler in that balcony plays taps. I want you to get another bugler and put him in that balcony. And I want him to play Reveille. I got to get up. I got to get up. I got to get up in the morning. Life for the child of God doesn't end with the taps of the grave. It begins with the reveille of the trumpet sound. Would you stand? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, and every Christian is praying. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you for the presence of God that we felt. Lord, that that same spirit that woke Jesus up from the dead and brought life into his limp body, that same spirit, one day, oh God, is going to quicken our mortal bodies. 
But God, I've felt a little bit of that quickening power today. And God, it's that same enlivening power that gets a hold of hearts that are dead in sin and brings them to life. I'm praying that you'd save somebody today, God. And I'm praying, God, that you would encourage those that know you. Lord, somehow wake us up from our slumber. Give us a divine energy. Let us work the works of him that sent us while it's day. Lord, let us not be caught sleeping. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head is bowed and eyes are closed.